0: hello everybody welcome Hi back guys. how you doing i'm good how about you good welcome to the castro files thank you so much again for joining us we've got absolutely beth's got a great I story do. this one's we're going to give a disclaimer on this one this in a one minute. does get a disclaimer yeah but, before we yeah. get into that of course go out do us a favor like and subscribe to the castro files channel um, you can also check out all the audio out on iTunes, Spotify, all the places. Audible, you can get yeah. And it's going to be under the bar is open with Beth and Greg Correct. for the audio stuff. Right. If you're into that, or definitely watch the video. Of course, I think yes. that's always the cool part because we get yeah. to cool. There's a lot of cool picks, picks and this one, especially imagery in this one. This one's it's going to be. I think it's going to be heavily it's kind of um, covered with that because it's some of the yeah.
1: It's so my disclaimer is this one is brutal. It's pretty gory and it's pretty detailed. So. If you have young children around or you're squeamish, maybe this not, but might not be for you. But if you really like it, it's bad, but it's not too bad. So give it's it a, a try. serial killer yeah.
0: story. Um, so, yeah.
1: I got this from um, okay, jump the, the, the Bizarre True Crime Volume 9 book cool. by Ben Oakley. Um, this is so during wartime London as the Germans bombs were raining down, a serial killer was at work who brought a new kind of darkness to the cold and lonely streets of b- the British capital. I'm also going to disclaim I'm still <laughs> we both coming Still over struggling with yeah. these allergies so I'm a little hoarse and it may give out from time to time and may need to get a drink of water but That's we'll make right. it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <clears throat> all right, let's go. So, <clears throat> there is nothing worse than a city in fear of bombings falling from the sky except perhaps a serial killer who took advantage of London's darkest hours to feed an evil desire for cold-blooded murder. Known as the blackout killer or the wartime ripper, Twenty-seven-year-old Gordon Cummins finally snapped and went on a killing spree across London that left six women dead and two severely injured, who barely managed to escape his clutches. And if we want, we if we've got a picture of him, I've got two. So um, that is his military picture, and I think the next one too is his. Um, Just him looking very dapper. Dapper. So one of the things that he was a, a pretty handsome guy. He was, and he was very charismatic, and like. They, they almost compared him to like royalty. Like they called him the Duke in his circle because he was just so, you know, he was, a peop- uh, he was a man of the people. People loved him. Gotcha. Um, so uh, coming just 50 years after the infamous Jack the Ripper murders, Cummings was seen as a new Ripper carving his way through the streets of London. Most of the murders took place in February of 1942, but he was also suspected of killing two more a few months earlier in October of 1941. The air raids across Britain's major cities led to enforced blackout measures at night, blanking the cities in darkness. It was under this cover of night that the blackout killer roamed the wartime streets seeking his innocent victims. Um, Can you go, there is a picture of what London would look like during these blackouts. So like that is literally. It's just dark. Dark. So they can't see what to target. Right. This was, this was, yeah, this was, this was planned so that as the bombs were dropped, it would make it difficult for them to find where they're, where they were going to throw it. Yeah. So, like I mentioned, he was an extravagant person. Uh, the blackouts had been imposed on various cities, including uh, London, from September 1939 and were put in place to prevent enemy aircrafts from being able to identify targets by sight. The blackouts remained in place until some restrictions were lifted in September of 1944 as the German war machine weakened. When, when set com- what set Cummings apart from the rest of his dark peers was the brutality with which he carried out many of his murders some of the victims were badly mutilated that police first thought they had been victims of the bombs that's how messed up their bodies were born at the tail end of the first war north yorkshire raised cummings uh, sorry north yorkshire raised cummings spent his childhood under the watchful eye of hard-working parents his father ran a school for the mentally challenged teenagers and his mother was a housewife to four children cummings had an unremarkable childhood but sought a career in chemistry before moving to Newcastle when he was 18 years old to take a job as an industrial chemist due to his poor time keeping and antisocial behaviors most likely developed from the family's closeness to the delinquent school he failed to keep down a job more than a few months When he was 20, Cummings moved to London and took various jobs but found himself drawn into the large society life the uh, the city offered. His love for clubs, bars, and London women led him to developing a persona for himself that lifted him from the working class roots to something he believed was more desirable. He worked on a posh London accent and told wild stories of nights with multiple women and a fake heritage designed to show others how better he was than them. His extravagant persona was funded by petty theft, lifting him from beer swingling peers into champagne lifestyle. So he He set himself up. He was a criminal on top of it. Slippery slope. The Duke. At 21, Cummings joined the Royal Air Force and his posh persona led to many nicknames, including the Duke and the Count. Though he annoyed most of his comrades with tales of grandeur, he trained hard enough to be selected for the flight duty by the RAF Selection Board. He also married Marjorie Stevens in 1936, but they never had children and their marriage was more out of convenience than love. She would continue to believe her husband was innocent of any crimes right up until her own death many years later. Shortly before his arrest, Cummings was due to report for duty at an aircrew receiving center in Regent Park, where he would have ultimately sat behind the controls of a Spitfire. I'm assuming that's a... That's a plane. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the Duke had gone down a path of murder and brutality that to this day raises the hair on the back of the neck. During the time of the London murders in October 1941, Cummings was stationed in Corrine, Wiltshire. But whenever he went on leave, he would head straight for central London to use prostitutes and revel in his own tales of magnificence and showmanship. On the morning of October 14th, 1941, following a bombing raid, workmen were searching through the rubble of a bombed house in Hampstead Road, closer to Regent Park, when they stumbled upon a body. It was not unusual to find bodies in London during the war, but there was something different about this one. On top of some debris was the nude body of 19-year-old Secretary Maple Churchwood, but she didn't show any signs of having been hurt during the bombing. Unsure what they were looking at, the workmen called in the police, who confirmed that Maple had been strangled to death with her own knickers. Despite being found nude, she had not been sexually assaulted. Police learned that Maple commonly slept with British servicemen, sometimes for money and other times for fun. Uh, and I do have pictures of, of his victims, but we'll, we'll get to those in just a minute. But um, she had last been seen at a bar in a nearby Camden uh, or in nearby Camden the previous evening. Four days later, on September 17th, 48-year-old Edith Humphreys was found by a friend lying in bed suffering from severe wounds. Wounds? Wounds. 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 (laughs) Wounds, thank you. She'd been stabbed in the head, hit with a heavy object multiple times, and her throat had been cut. Edith was alive when she was rushed to the hospital, but unfortunately died shortly thereafter. There was no forced entry to her home, and due to the closeness of both women's murder, police suspected the same killer had been responsible. Edith, too, was seen at the uh, the Central London Bar the night before her murder. So, same bar. Okay. The Mutilator. Due to the severity of the war over London, two murders were put on the back burner. So, there were bigger These murders, bigger, bigger things, things, things to on, have to deal with, like yeah. bombings. Um, during the following 3 months, Cummings was stationed at RAF St John Woods, commonly known as RAF Regent's Park, a perfect location for him to escalate his murders. On the 8th of February 1942, after a brief visit to his wife in nearby Southwark, Cummings headed out into war-torn London. A day later, another victim was found dead in an air raid shelter. 41-year-old pharmacist Evan Lee Hamilton was last seen drinking wine celebrating her 41st birthday at Marble Arch. As she walked back to her boarding house, Cummings befriended and lured her, to the air, lured her to the air raid shelter where he became violent. He ripped off her clothes and manually strangled her to death. The autopsy showed that she tried to fight him but was not The autopsy showed that she tried to fight him but was not sexually assaulted. Her body was found by an electrician the following morning. Police discovered her handbag had been stolen, which may have contained upwards of 80 pounds, which is worth uh, 4,000 pounds today. Okay. They learned that she was leaving London for Lincolnshire the next day and was winding up her personal affairs. That same evening on, January, uh, on February 9th, 34-year-old married nightclub hostess and prostitute Everlyn Oatley was approached by Cummings as she waited outside a restaurant in Shaftesbury. Just before midnight, the pair was seen entering an apartment building at 153 Warden Street by another tenant. The same tenant heard Oatley's radio turned up loud after midnight as Cummings was killing her and mutilating her body. He beat and strangled her into subconsciousness before cutting her uh, from throat to ear. Then he stripped her and laid her flat on the bed with her hang hanging over the edge. Then, with a razor blade, a tin opener, and a piece of broken mirror, Cunning's cut up her body before raping her with an electric torch and curling tongs. So basically a curling iron. Evidence found at the scene suggested he had used a total of seven blades to slice her body, which was found the next morning by electric meter workers. So he's... Escalating, dear God, yeah, yeah. So, thi- well, I, it's hard to say. It's one thing to strangle somebody; it's another level to do everything you just described—chop yeah. them up and do other things. Yeah. So, <clears throat> the Whistler, already tainted by the horrors of the war, police found fingerprints on the tin opener, the mirror, and the other items belonging to Oatley. But when they were checked, the fingerprints on the police database there was no match, and for good reason: Cummins had never been arrested or convicted of a crime which is, makes this sudden killing of women that much more strange on the next day on the 11th a 43 year old prostitute margaret florence Lau, was murdered at her flat in gosfield street uh maryland born she was last she had last been seen by a neighbor in the early hours of the morning accompanied by a client the same neighbor heard the client leave about an hour later whistling away to himself as he'd just had a night of fun Lowe's body would not be found until two days later when her 15 year old daughter, her 15 year old daughter arrived home to find her body on a bloody bed. Her nude position or her nude body had been positioned in such a way that she was on her back with her legs apart and knees bent forward or upward. She had been totally brutally beaten to death and strangled with a silk stocking. And if police, police thought Oatley's murder was horrific. It was nothing compared to Lowe's Cummins had mutilated Lowe's, Partly when she was alive, but mostly after she had died. He used a razor blade, a kitchen knife, a dinner knife, and a fire poker to stab and slice her body. All four weapons were left embedded in her body or nearby on the bed. Dear. So he's leaving his tools. Yeah. He's just finding shit around the house. He's making do with what he had. Good God. Her stomach, <clears throat> her stomach had been sliced open with such severity that her organs were exposed along with multiple lacerations and cuts to her groin. A large wax candle had also been inserted into her. The- this dude. Yeah. Uh, that, that the suspect walked away from the spe- scene whistling happily sent chills down the investigator's spine. So the whistler. the whistler, remember she said she heard somebody leaving from that apartment. Um, sounding like he just had the best night. So, um, unstoppable fingerprints were lifted and matched those of the Oatley crime scene. Autopsies confirmed that the suspect suspect was left-handed, which Cummins was, but he was able to hide himself away in the arms of RAF Regent Park. One day after Lowe's horrific death on the 12th of February, 25 year old prostitute, Catherine McCauley was attacked by Cummins in her own home. After he had paid for her services as McCully stripped Cummins attacked her and pushed her to the bed, attempting to strangle her. But McCully was strong enough to fight him off and ran screaming from the flat. She later claimed that Cummings eyes had changed from well-to-do gentleman to a monster within seconds. Cummins exited the flat and tried to give her more money than fled before police arrived. It was perhaps a fortunate case of luck that Cummings had forgotten to put his RAF belt, which was found in her apartment. The same evening, he Cum- left his belt. Yeah. Okay. The same evening, Cummings hooked up with 32 year old prostitute Doris, I'm not going to try her last name, who took him back to her flat in Bayswater. She had referred to Cummings as a client she called the captain. The following day, this woman's husband, with the help of a friend who was a police officer, broke down her bedroom door and discovered her nude body on the bed she used to entertain clients. The same brutality had been inflicted on her. She had been strangled with silk stockings, her jaw had been broken due to the savagery of the attack, and her body had been mutilated with various sharp instruments, including a razor blade and multiple knives. Some of the flesh under her breast had been carved off. Again, Fingertips ta- fingerprints taken from the scene match those of the other murderers, but police were already closing in due to Cummings having left the RAF belt at the McCully flat. So, it's starting to get sloppy. So we're at like seven. Uh, there. I think eight, there was. Eight? I think it was said six total. Or six. Or, okay. <clears throat> Mike. There please. are eight, but some survived. Okay. Two survived. Um, Prelude to an End. The press initially gave little service to the story of the murderer, but with the killings so close together, Cummings was referred to as the blackout killer and the following day made headlines across the country. Even with police investigating him and the press writing about the murders, for some reason only known to Cummings, he just couldn't stop killing and less less than a day after uh, murdering the, the previous young lady, he attacked another woman. On the 13th, Cummins Cummins lured Margaret Haywood to join him for a drink in a bar in Piccadilly when they left the bar he attempted to forcibly direct Haywood to a nearby air raid shelter but she tried to fight him off Cummins then pushed her into a doorway and strangled her into unconsciousness the attack was stopped when a passing beer bottle delivery man spotted spotted Cummins rifling through her handbag The delivery man came to the rescue, forcing Cummins to flee. And in so doing, he left now behind his RAF gas mask and rucksack in the doorway. To cover himself later, Cummins stole another serviceman's gas mask and rucksack. And I do. There is a picture of that. You
0: want to go through a couple of pictures of the the ladies coming up as well? So these are just examples of some of the the women.
1: So that one is the one that... Sometimes paid got paid for sex okay. and sometimes had sex for fun. The other one I think that was the previous one, she was a little bit older. She was the se- the secretary, the 49-year-old. Okay. And this is the young lady that was leaving to go be a pharmacist somewhere. Okay. Um, and then but got the that gas is mask. his gas mask and rucksack. And that is how ultimately So they had serial numbers on these Yes, days. that is how ultimately they tracked okay, him let's down. Get to it. Yeah. Um <clears throat> That's awesome. It's weird. It's creepy. Right? Fortunately, Haywood survived the attack and would later be able to identify Cummins. When police got hold of the gas mask and the rucksack, they contacted the local RAF base who ultimately led them to Cummins due to the issue number on the military gear. There you go. On Valentine morning, Cummins was arrested but concocted a fake story that he was out drink- drinking whiskey with another serviceman whose name he coincidentally couldn't recall. He claimed to have mem- Claimed to have no memory of attacking Haywood, but wished to apologize to her if he had done that. While he was under arrest for committing grievous body harm, detectives realized they could have the blackout killer in their custody, so they jumped into full-on investigation mode to prove it.
0: Yeah, because I don't know what the British laws were during World War Two or whatnot, but... They're like, here you got seventy-two hours, but he still committed—he still committed
1: a crime <clears throat> of assaulting her, right? And she and she, murder, and she pointed him out, yeah. so they had a little bit of time, but not much. So, irrefutable evidence. The RAF Regent's Park passbook was signed by Cummins on all the nights that the murders had and attacks had happened. The fellow servicemen claimed they all had each other's back and falsified documents with pencils should any of them return after a military enforced curfew. Police later discovered that Cummins and other servicemen would sneak out of the base at night and not return until the early hours. When police searched his belongings, they found most of the proof that they were looking for. Cummins had been taking souvenirs from each of his victims, including metal cigar cases belonging to Oakley, along with a picture of her mother. There were traces of blood on one of his unwashed shirts, and his military uniform had had traces of brick dust only found in the air raid shelters where Hamilton's body was found. But most importantly, all the fingerprints belonged to the suspect in the February and the four February murders were a match to Cummins. They also discovered that now, I don't, I think it's one pound notes had been given to one of, had been given to one of his victims by her attacker. The investigators tracked the serial number and discovered the notes were brand new and had been issued via the RAF base to Cummins. Okay. Hollywood identified Cummins in a lineup or I'm sorry, Haywood identified Cummins in the lineup and the police had everything they needed to lay multiple counts of murder at his feet in front of them was not only one of the most brutal killers of the 1940 London, but a terrifying serial killer who offered no real motive for his crimes beyond circumstances. Cummins still maintained his innocence when he was charged with murder on the 16th of February and put together various stories to lay blame at the feet of other servicemen who had clearly swapped RAF issued clothing and accessories with him to pin the blame on him. In 1942 Cummins went on trial for the murder of Oatley and pleaded not guilty with all the witnesses autopsies and forensic evidence. There was no way he was going to get away with it. He was found guilty of the murder of Oatley and in the interests of British public was sentenced to death on June 25th, 1942 Cummins was led to the gallows at Wadsworth prison where he was hanged. He maintained his innocence right up until the end. He was eventually linked with other murders. He was eventually linked with the other murders, the two that happened in October of Mm -hmm. 1941 and three in February of 1942. So he'd, he'd started before this, uh, that he was already sentenced to death meant that any other convictions would not have changed the outcome or the ultimate outcome he maintains he remains one of british's most curious and brutal serial killers having claimed one more victim than jack the ripper bringing darkness to a city where there were already horrors at every turn
0: yeah i know like just knowing that yeah so kind of taking advantage yeah we can go through some of the other photos Um, but
1: taking advantage so those are the investigators um and ultimately go ahead Taking advantage uh, of so like
0: taking advantage of like the bombs coming down and like killing people like during those. Well, times, the bombs or, coming down
1: and prostitutes. Yeah. You know, right. I so mean, Jack, a couple of them weren't prostitutes, but the ha- the majority of them
0: were wearing your gas mask or doing like those sorts of things. That's and, weird, dude.
1: It, he started getting sloppy. Like he probably wasn't taking those things before. And now he was taking them and he was just doing it. He'd whenever. get in a rush. Like he'd and he'd have work, to he'd leave. get out of work. And yeah. Be like, hey, I'm going to go murder somebody. I'm going to go find somebody. Um, that's crazy. The next one, I believe, is uh, that's the mur- one that of the is one of the weapons. can openers. That's a can
0: opener he used on um,
1: one of his victims, one of the women. or a, a version of the can opener. I don't know if that's the actual can opener, Ish. but a version of the can opener that was used. Um, that was another one of his victims, and, and that is them. the prison yeah. that ultimately he was uh, sentenced to, to death and in. Mur- er, yeah, not and, murder, and hanged. Sentenced to death. Yeah, yeah.
0: great story. So, but it's interesting how you hear about Jack the Ripper. But you don't hear about this story, Mm-mm. right? And he's even more prolific. But Jack the Ripper was—it's like they've still never found him.
1: Yeah, Jack the Ripper—they you know, don't know so they don't this even know guy. Who it was. You would think they would talk more about this gentleman because he but was caught and convicted. It was solved, right? <clears throat> I guess so, that takes some of the mystery yeah. out of it. So Jack the Ripper—he yeah. just
0: went silent or whatever, yeah. and they never found him. So great story. Thanks. Creepy, gross.
1: A little brutal. A little brutal. But yeah. I found it interesting. Absolutely. It was, good yeah. one.
0: Thanks. Absolutely. So thank you guys so much for hanging out tonight. Uh, be sure to go out and like, subscribe on the Castro Files channel. Yes. I want to thank Pete, who's off camera right now, for helping to produce this <laughs> He's episode. Waving. Appreciate it. And everybody, have a good night. Till hey next guys, time. guys, love you. See you care. later. Bye. Cheers.